0: You know, it's funny, I've noticed this throughout time, that it's sometimes easier for us to spot foolish behavior in other people than it is sometimes to spot foolish behavior in ourselves. You know what I mean? Like, you can look at someone you can say, that's foolish. But sometimes it's hard for us, as we're acting foolish, to see it in ourselves. Let me give you a good example. Uh, last week uh, during the Christmas or the Thanksgiving break, my, my family had a lot of time to, to watch TV. Like we like getting together at night and having family movie time. And so we gather on the couch and we, we watch TV. Well, one, one of the shows that kind of came on that the girls don't really like, but we've seen so many, many, many times is the, the movie called Ice Age. Have you seen Ice Age? Well, in the movie Ice Age, if you haven't seen it, You're not missing a whole lot. But if you haven't seen it, you can Google it and you can check it out real fast. But otherwise, if you haven't seen it, you know what I'm talking about. In the movie Ice Age, you can see that there is this character that shows up every once in a while, just random times throughout the movie. His name is Scrat, and he's a saber-toothed squirrel. Now, if you've seen the movie, you know that Scrat is all about trying to gather acorns. So his whole life is all about gathering acorns. And so he'll do crazy things. He'll find an acorn that's that's about to fall off a cliff, and he'll run for it. And then he'll grab it as it's falling, and he'll fall, and he'll crash into the ground. And so, so Scrat is running around, chasing after acorns. And he's enduring horrible pain as he's going about this. But he's driven. He has this drive inside of him, always to want more. Now there was one video we watched this week, uh, the kids and I, uh, about we actually saw what Scrat had. So in the movie you think Scrat is this this guy that is poor, that, that is just looking for one last morsel of food. But in this one video we saw this week we found out that Scrat actually has a half tree that's that's full of acorns so the tree is hollow and it's full of acorns and he gathers one more acorn you can see in this video he has one spot in the middle and so he takes this acorn and he's trying to press it in deeper into the whole pile of acorns that he already has and finally eventually they explode and go all over the place and you see him falling through the air and he's chasing after all these acorns It's almost as though he never has enough, even though he really does have enough. He has enough acorns to feed a whole army of scrats. He has this insatiable desire for more. And you know, I look at Scrat, and I know he's a cartoon character, but I look at Scrat and I look at his behavior, and that behavior is something that I would call foolish, Like, it doesn't make sense to me to live your life trying to grasp something we already have, but to to live your life so that you always want more of what you already have. But I think Jesus, here in this teaching in Luke chapter 12, I think Jesus does a good job of calling out other foolish behavior especially as this specific passage relates to how the followers of Jesus Christ view their wealth or view their possessions or even view their savings, Jesus is very clear about pointing some things out. And we can see in verse at the end of this passage that he calls it foolish. He calls the rich man a fool for living his life the way that he was living. What we see as Jesus comes on is Jesus, in part of his ministry, much of his ministry, he did a lot of teaching. And if you look through a lot of Jesus' teaching, you can see that he spent a lot of time talking about money and talking about possessions. And I don't think that Jesus spent a lot of time talking about money or possessions because money is the most important thing in God's mind. I don't think Jesus spent a lot of time talking about it because it's the thing that he wanted to lead with. He didn't show up and say, I've come to establish the church and a really nice bank. So Jesus is not leading with money, but Jesus, I think, uses money because Jesus understood the people of his day. As Jesus comes on the scene and cares for the hearts of men and women, we can see that the people of God The God's people of Jesus' day weren't honoring God with their money or possessions. So Jesus takes the opportunity to spotlight the sin of the people. So whenever Jesus talks about money, he's trying to help pull out the the tendencies of the hearts of the people of Jesus' day towards elevating their money or their possessions over their relationship with God. And I think it's easy for us here today, in our current culture, it's easy for us to replace God with our money or possessions, where we're driven by those things instead of driven by a heart for God. But we see as this passage begins in, in verse 13. I'll read it again. It says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions." So a person in the crowd on this day, Jesus takes the opportunity. A person comes to him and is asking Jesus to make a judgment about the inheritance. He wants him to make a legal judgment about this inheritance. And we see that Jesus here refuses. He says, I'm not going to make a legal judgment. Instead, I'm going to make a moral judgment. So he takes this issue and uses it as an opportunity to teach And this is what he says. It's the sermon that you heard last week. Jesus basically says, guard yourselves against coveting, that your life is not about your possessions. The purpose of your life, at the end of your life, the scale that's going to mark whether your life was successful, whether your life was full, whether your life was full of meaning is not going to be how much you have or how big your bank account is going to be. So Jesus says, be on your guard, for life is not about this. But Jesus even goes a step further and he gives this wonderful parable that helps point the people that hear and us even today to think about the ways that we can respond to our wealth, the ways that we can respond to our savings and use that in a way that will honor God. So that's the teaching today. And I want us to see as we look through this parable that there are two main things that we can do today to help guard our hearts so that we don't go down the same path that jesus is warning the people of on this day the first thing i think we can see in this passage begins in verse 16 and 18 and the truth is is that we need to refuse the modern pattern of savings we need to refuse the modern pattern as it's related to saving so jesus here begins if we if we look in verse 16 we can see he uses this parable and he says then he told a parable saying the land of a rich man produced plentifully and he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns, and I will build bigger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, and drink, drink and be merry. So Jesus describes here, he begins describing this common pattern that has been a part of the world since, I believe, uh, soon after creation and in the garden. And this is the common pattern. You, you work hard. You do your very, very best. You give your best to your employer or you give your best to your work. Whatever toil that you do under the sun, you give your best to. And when you give your best to it, what happens is there is a reward. So lots of times there's a reward in either in the financial reward or there's a reward of, of uh, accumulation of things. And in this case, we see that this farmer worked really, really hard and his land produced. So he's a hard worker, and he was rewarded. We also see in this passage that he was awarded way beyond what he was expecting. It was well beyond what he had planned. And and there's a truth in there, too. Part of the mystery of God is that that we sow, and God produces a reward. There's, There's a better reward, and there's a better return when you work and give to the Lord. You can give to your bank. You can say, okay, I'm going to take this money I'm going to give it to the bank and the bank's going to give you a return on your investment. And if you look now, interest rates and all those returns aren't very big, aren't very great. It's not a lot of money. But the Lord teaches us continually over and over and over. But when you give to the Lord, when you give of yourself unto the Lord, there's always greater and greater returns. And I think this... Even though it's a parable, this this rich fool, as Jesus talks about, is one that experienced that. He worked hard and had this wonderful production and was well beyond what he had planned for. And that brought about a great dilemma in his life. He was forced now with his dilemma. I have all of this stuff, and what do I do with it? So he does like anyone else does. I have nowhere to store my crops, so I have this dilemma, so what am I going to do? And he contemplates it, and he develops a great plan. Here's my plan. I'm going to build bigger and bigger barns to store all of my stuff for myself. But there is only one problem. As we see through this parable, we see that this foolish man neglected to include God in his plans. Which we know, just by our own lives, is always a great recipe for disaster. Whenever we lay out our best plans and we don't include God in our plans, we always will find ourselves rushing towards becoming a fool. But as we look here, I want us to see that it's not sinful to save. Jesus is not using this parable to say that it is sinful to save. Instead, what Jesus is saying here is there's a pattern that is in the world that leads to foolishness. Or that, be, that the product of it is foolishness. But he said that but there's also another way to save in a way that honors the Lord. I think we live in a world today where we can see there are two patterns that I believe are sinful. The one pattern that we see in regards to saving is that some people see the, the need or the fear of the future, so they want to have as much as they possibly can, and so they save too much. Or they end up hoarding. When you get to the point of where you can't give it away or you, can't do, you don't know what to do with it, and so you just want more, it can lead to an, ad, an attitude of hoarding. So there are some that on one extreme hoard, but then there's another extreme of saving where people just don't even believe that you need to save. And so there's an extreme of saving too much, but then there's also the extreme of not saving at all. But I believe that where the Lord wants us to be is somewhere balancing those two. Like making sure that we have enough to to save, that we're, we're being faithful with what God has given us, but then also trusting Him trusting Him with their finances. But you know what, we can, we can look here in Luke, but we can also look to the whole Bible and to see that it speaks about being a good steward. And I think there are some passages I'd like to share with you about help helping us uh, develop a proper perspective on saving. So we're gonna walk through some passages for the next few moments. And I think the first truth we can see through Scripture, the Scripture tells us that you should save through working hard and preparation, that it's important for us to save through working hard, but also being prepared. You see, the rich fool parable is not a license just to make money without any thought of it or any thought about the future. It's, the rich fool is, is not telling us that, that it should come in because you work hard and then you immediately try to get rid of it or you immediately try to use it. But the Bible does give us a clear picture that there's a need for us to plan or have some long-range planning. Like We have to prepare. If we look at Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, we can see this. The Bible tells us, Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways, and be wise. She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. We can go to just the created order, and we can see how God wants us to prepare and and to plan. Just like the ant prepares ahead for what is to come, I think we, so should we. For we know that in the lives that we live, life happens we know that there are things that are beyond our control and when life happens we need to be prepared like if you're going through life and you're you're trying to get ready early in the morning and you hear screams from downstairs because the girls are saying blood 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 and you run downstairs or they come upstairs and you see a gaping hole over your daughter's eye because she's cut herself on the counter when life happens like that and you've got to rush her to the hospital to go get her stitches when that happens like it did this week Life happens. You've got to be prepared for those things because you've got to be prepared financially to pay for those. And so you've got to have insurance or you've got to have money. And we've got to live our lives preparing for when life happens. We also prepare for when things break. We live in a world where things don't work forever. Like when your car breaks down, you've got to be prepared for that. When you lose your job out of the blue, you've got to be prepared for that. And I think the reality is is we can work hard now or we can work hard when the things aren't broken or when life's not happening so that we can be prepared when life does. Because it's inevitable, you will. So we save so that we will not despair when life happens. Some economists or some biblical teachers will will say that it's important for uh, believers or, or people that manage their money well to have an emergency fund. So, you know, a good thing to prepare is to have an emergency fund where you're setting money aside so that when these emergencies happen, you don't go to a place of despair, but you're able to pay for them and be able to care for them. So that's a good idea. I think the ant shows us that, too, is that in good times, when, when the fruit is producing and when the land is producing, be prepared for when the land is barren. Proverbs 13, verse 11, says this. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle. But whoever gathers little by little will increase it. I think what we can learn from this proverb is that when we can gather a little bit at a time, as we go throughout life, don't try to just gather it all at one time by saying, like, I'm going to take this whole paycheck and I'm going to go to save it. That's good if you can, but many people can't. Instead, why don't you develop a plan? I think it's a good idea to develop a plan for every bit of money that comes in. We gather a little bit at a time And allow it to grow over the long haul. For every little bit, eventually adds up. I think the reality is the better we can do this, the younger we are, the better we can be at it. So if you're a child that's eight years old, it's a good time to start. Every time you get an allowance, take a little bit of it and set it away just to save it. And let it grow and let it grow and let it grow. And don't touch it for a long time and just watch it grow. And that's just like the beauty of the little seeds. We got these seeds today, and the beauty of it is you take that little tiny seed and you plant it in the ground. You give it some water, you expose it to the sun, and what's going to happen? Well, that that seed is going to grow into a tree, and if it continues to mature, it can grow into a huge tree that will produce other seeds and have the potential to become its own orchard or become its own grove of trees. The same thing can be true if we set aside a little bit at a time. So put some aside and just let it be. And then use it for future purchases. Use it for other things in the future that the Lord provides. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 27 says, Prepare your work outside. Get everything ready for yourself in the fields. And after that, build your house. So I think what we can learn from that is that we prioritize and plan for our future goals. Sit down and like actually have a plan for what the future may hold, if the Lord wills. So you know in the future there may be some big expenses. I'm looking at my four daughters, and I'm sitting back thinking that's one wedding, two weddings, three weddings, four weddings. And if we don't have a plan now, they're going to have to just go elope because I don't... Anyway, so there are things, there are issues in our lives where we have to give a a count or give a a quick overview of our own lives and say, what are the priorities of our lives? And I can't wait until they're 23 to begin planning for that. So I can do that, I can begin doing that now. So prioritize and plan for your future goals. Proverbs 21, verse 5 says this, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. I think the, the truth of that um, proverb is that we also need to prepare for life post-employment. Like, it's, There's going to come a time where our bodies will, will um, not work like they used to, or there will be a, a time where uh, we won't be able to be employed anymore. We won't have our day job. And so we need to plan for life beyond that so that we can plan just to provide for ourselves so that we do not live in a situation of poverty But while we have time, prepare for that. So I think we can see from this parable that we should save through hard work and preparation. The second big truth from this parable is that we should trust in God, not our finances. This is a huge one. We need to look at our hearts and ask ourselves, where is it that I'm placing my trust in my life? Is my trust in my life in my finances? Is it in my 401k or is it really in the Lord himself? There's this balance there. So I think the error, as we go back to this parable, we see the error error of the rich fool is not in the attempts that he has to plan for the future, but that his plans for the future are all about him. What he wants to do with this future is all about him. He he, He operates his life as though he's the owner of all things, not as though he's a steward of all things. He lives in such a way so that he believes that he can control the outcomes of his life by what he keeps. And in the end, we see that his sin is really sin of pride. By saying, I am self-sufficient. I don't need anyone else. I think the book of James also gives us a, a clear picture into this. As James says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. If with our finances and with our plans we leave God out, the Bible says not only is it foolish, but it's boasting It's arrogance, it's pride, and it's evil. But we trust in God with our finances. But we trust in God even when we lay out the best plans we can. When we sit with the Lord and we, we labor over the plans of our future, trusting God with our finances is really still leaving that to the Lord. So we sit down with the Lord and we trust and we plan and we develop this plan, but then we, in the end we still leave it to the Lord. I think of the, the, the man Job. If we look back, we can see that Job in the book of Job planned and he sought to honor God with all that he had. He sought with his whole life to follow the Lord. But God had a different plan in mind for him. God had a different perspective or a different purpose for his life. For we see through Job's life, Job ended up losing everything. Job was a man that still honored the Lord, still loved the Lord. But Job lost his family. Job lost his money. Job lost his livestock. Job lost everything. And Job was able to say this in Job 1 verse 21. He said, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away, and this is the key, blessed be the name of the Lord. Job, with his best plans, still allowed and gave it to God to say, Lord, this is, this is my opportunity to honor you, but it's still in your hands. If you choose to honor this plan, great. But if you choose to take this plan away, great. Blessed be the name Of the Lord. So we need to trust God in our finances. As we build our plans, as we make our plans, we prepare with God in mind. We allow God to give us His plans. So that's the second truth is we plan with our finances and we put our faith in Christ and our faith in God, not in our finances. Third truth is that we can save without anxiety. Save without anxiety, because we know the future is uncertain. We know this. We know we don't know what the future holds. But there's a tendency when we don't know the future, there's a tendency to allow that not knowing to well up in our hearts towards anxiety and fear about the future. So what we do is we, we fear about the future. We have this anxiety. Then we want to prepare. and We want to hold on to as much as we can right now. And Jesus reminds us just a few verses down in this, this passage in, in verse 22. And Jesus goes on to his disciples and he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. Jesus says clearly, don't worry, don't have anxiety, but place your faith in the Lord because he cares for us. He knows our name. He knows our circumstances. He knows what we're going through, and we can trust in Him. The fourth truth is that we, could, we should, as we use our finances and as we prepare to save, we should save for godly purposes. You see, the rich man, his plan was to save and selfishly gratify himself. That was his plan. I'm going to do all this. I'm going to build. I got all this stuff. I'm going to build bigger barns so I can sit back and I can enjoy all of the luxuries and the pleasures of life. He trying to create his own personal paradise here on earth. We can see the Book of James also comes back and pushes back against this idea. In James chapter three or James chapter five, verses three and five, we see, "Your gold and silver silver have corroded." And their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures in the last days. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. So if our objective in saving is just to amass great amounts of wealth, there is a problem. The purpose of our money, the purpose of our possessions is so that we can bless others. The reason the Lord blesses us, the reason that the Lord would bless a farmer that has been faithful and allow the fruit, the land to produce overly more than he ever expected is so that he could bless others, not create worlds unto ourselves. That's that's basically the sermon next week, so I'll, I'll stop there. But come back next week as we further investigate that, because that is the trueness of why God gives us everything, is so that we can bless others. So I think there's a key. There are two keys. The the first key that we can see is we must refuse the modern pattern that we see in the world towards savings. And we gave you some truths about that. But the second thing I want us to look quickly is to reject the modern practice of retirement. So savings and retirement. like Those are the two biggest things. If you're looking for security in your own life and you're looking trying to plan for the future, you look at yourself and you're like, someday I'm not going to be able to work. Someday I'm going to need to have stuff. And then someday I just want to be able to stop working. But we can see here in, in verses 19 through 21, look at the rich fool again. After he built these barns, he says, I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. The plan of this rich fool was to work hard and then escape life so that he could go relax, eat, drink, and be merry. We can see here that in, in God's bigger mind, and God's bigger heart, this man was to, going to work and he was going to have all this stuff, but he was never going to be able to enjoy it. This pattern is adopted also by many in our culture today. And they characterize it by this idea of Retirement. And this is the pattern that we see. I'm going to work really, really hard. I'm going to put some away. I'm going to try to enjoy life now, but I know I've got to prepare for, the, for, for later on so that when I get to 65 years old, I can finally check out. I get to 65, and then I can do what I want to do, when I want to do it, and how I want to do it. I'm going to set myself up for the easy life. But did you realize that the word retirement in and of itself is not found in the Bible? The Bible doesn't specifically talk about saying, this is how you retire. But the Bible does tell us that we should work hard, faithfully save over time, so that when we quit our our day job, we know that it's not wrong. It's not going to be wrong to come to a point to where you can quit your day job. I think there's a season for work. There's a season to produce. There's a season to work the land and toil. But there's also a season to stop that. So there's nothing wrong in retiring. There's nothing wrong in enjoying golf or taking vacations or having plans someday to move to Florida. There's nothing wrong with that. That would be nice to go to Florida and escape the cold winters. But it becomes sin and harmful when we view this time of retirement or we, we view this time of quitting our day job as an opportunity to hit cruise control in our lives. Where we think, there can be a time in my life where I can stop living for Jesus and I can start living for myself. That's when retirement becomes sin. We should continue to reject the notion that ret- retirement is my time. For as believers, we may be retiring from our day jobs, but by retiring from our day jobs, it gives us an opportunity to be even more on mission for God. Like we have more time, we have more ability, we have more of our thoughts, we have more of our own talents that we can use for the Lord. In in much the same way, the Bible teaches about the, the benefits of being single. For when you're single, before you get married, you have only yourself to worry about. And so you can, as in your singleness, you can honor the Lord. You can pursue the God with all your whole heart. You can give him more of your time because you don't have a spouse that you also have to care for. So we know that marriage is not bad. Marriage is something that, that God says is a good thing. It's an opportunity for two people to come together to, to live as one. But when you enter into the marriage relationship, not only are you responsible for yourself, but you're also responsible now for your spouse. And so that takes up your time. It takes of your heart. It takes of your abilities so that you must care for someone else. So in the same way, having a job is not a bad thing. Living your life working is good, but you're also working for someone else. So that when that part of your life ends, you have more of your time, more of yourself to give to God. So those that retire have the gift of time. Time to be with their families. Time to serve others. Time to help others that God brings into their lives. And, you know, I, I'm blessed because in our campus here and in, in the campus in Hocassin, we are blessed as a church because we have some, some godly men and women that have gone through the stage of retirement, that have given their dues, and now they're in the place where they've saved, they've prepared, and now they're living their lives on mission for God. They, they see that, and I, and I hope you can look around and see those examples, not only in our own fellowship, but also at the other campus. And see that there are people that have figured this out, that know that their time now is a time to continue the mission of God, and we have so many godly examples of that. So I want to ask us now, as we continue to think about, so what do I do now? Well, if you're not retired, this is what you should do. Practice now living on mission with God. Practice now following God. Practice now being faithful with your saving so that when your employment is done, you already know what to do with your extra time. Plan now, live on mission with God, get connected with the church, stay connected with the church, serve the church and, and serve the Lord, serve other people so that when you no longer have the job that you have to go to every day, that you already know what to fill your time with. More serving, more giving. If you're in the place of retirement today, I want to encourage you just to continue to give your heart and life to the Lord and continue to live on mission with God. So today as we close, I want to remind us to embrace the pattern that God has set for us. It's different than the pattern that the world tells us is necessary. We reject those patterns, embrace God's patterns, and we see the promises of God is that it will end and it will bring joy in our life. If you want joy in your life, reject the patterns of the world and continue to come to the word of God and say, I embrace this, I take this, change me, mold me, and shape me, God. And that's when you'll find joy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We know that your word has given life. And Father, I pray today that you would continue to allow the truth of your word to be soaked up by our hearts and our minds. Father, if there are patterns in our lives that we need, uh, that we've become aware of today that need to be changed, I pray, God, that we would just come and surrender it to your feet and just say, God, help me. And Father, I thank you uh, for the great godly examples we have at our church to see those that understand what it means to serve you and be on mission with you. Those that are, have a day job, but those also that are retired, we have so many godly people, godly examples, God, that show us of what it means to balance all of that. God, continue to help us to be faithful with the possessions and the the money and the wealth that you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.